0: Welcome to the first episode in the second season of Talking Spirituality. If you listen to the first series, welcome back, and if you're new, we hope you enjoy this episode and go back and discover last year's season. I'm Nick Phillips, and today we are going to be talking about the saints associated with Glastonbury. Glastonbury Abbey in the Middle Ages was called a storehouse of saints. By the 14th century, the Abbey claimed to hold the relics of over 300 saints from near and far, as well as Old Testament relics. Much of the familiar mythic landscape of the Abbey was put down in writing in the 12th century under Abbot Henry of Blois, who expanded the Norman Abbey not only with stone but with stories. Henry commissioned the chronicler William of Malmesbury to live at the Abbey, and record its origins and history in his De Antiquitate. It is here that we learn about Joseph of Arimathea's foundation of the first church at Glastonbury. However, historians think this detail was likely a later addition rather than by William's own hand. We are told that Joseph was the uncle of Jesus and the man who had given up his tomb for him. After the crucifixion, Joseph travelled to Britain with other Christian companions, in some versions bringing the Holy Grail, and in others, two vessels of the blood and sweat of Christ. Before reaching the site of what would be the first church, where the abbey now stands, he stopped on Weiriel Hill, planting his staff, which began to bloom, giving us the legend of the holy thorn. Our other sources are the lives of the saints, hagiographies of the life and times and doings of the early pious Christians. Besides being used to teach Christian values, these legends were often recorded in order to increase the fame of a particular site belonging to the saint or as proof to reinforce its antiquity, despite usually being written down hundreds of years after the saint had died. In another interpolation in William of Malmesbury's text, we're told how Patrick, the patron saint of Ireland, became Glastonbury Abbey's first abbot. Patrick was said to have arrived in Glastonbury to find 12 hermits inhabiting cells around an ancient church, and a book of the acts of Fagan and Deruvian, who supposedly founded the church generations earlier. This, of course, contradicts the claim that it was Joseph of Arimathea who was the founder. So whoever made the addition rationalises that Fagan and Deruvian found and rededicated an existing church 100 years later. It was said that for hundreds of years the community of Glastonbury had had no leader, so Patrick agreed to stay and be their first abbot until his death and burial by the altar in the old church. Other saints were said to follow in Patrick's footsteps from Ireland, including St. Bridget. She was said to have stayed for a time with a community she found at Beckery, just outside Glastonbury, before returning to Ireland. St. Beninus was recorded as Patrick's successor as abbot, after following him from Ireland. And another follower was St. Indract, travelling from Ireland to visit the grave of Patrick, but who was ambushed and killed, along with his companions, at Shapwick in the Avalon Marshes, not far from Glastonbury. The Saxons who attacked them reportedly thought their brass-tipped staves were gold, and their pouches stuffed with coins rather than herbs, so killed them thinking they were rich. It's debated whether any of these early saints actually visited Glastonbury, due to the lack of supporting evidence. Though it was noted that an Irish community was present in the Middle Ages at Beckery, as mentioned in the contemporary life of St Dunstan. The name Beckery was believed to mean Little Ireland. Besides Irish ones, you have Cornish saints here, which isn't surprising as we know the medieval abbey owned lands in Cornwall. We have St Rumen and St Niot. Niot was known as the Pygmy Saint due to his short stature, and supposedly needed a special stool to reach the door lock of the Abbey Church. One day, when he didn't have his stool with him, the lock miraculously descended for him to reach. There were supposedly Welsh Saints here too, like the famous Saint David and another, Saint Cothlin. His life story is recorded quite late in the 16th century, and it's another fun one. It's said he had a cell near the base of Glastonbury Tor, where he lived as a hermit. One day he heard two men outside discussing Gwyn Apneith, the king of the fairies. Coughlin was annoyed and said they were talking about demons. He soon got an invitation to Gwyn's palace on the top of the Tor. He ignored it three times and eventually went armed with holy water. There Coughlin found drinking and dancing and feasting, but when he angrily threw his holy water around, it all vanished. The story probably represents Christianity triumphing over paganism and the old ways, especially being set on the Tor where the Archangel Michael is supposed to have slain a dragon. Dunstan is a saint firmly rooted in the historical Saxon era. Born locally in the year 909 and educated at the Abbey, he later became a monk and abbot of Glastonbury. Dunstan not only greatly expanded the abbey, but introduced the rule of St. Benedict that the monks continued to live by right up to the dissolution of 1539. Besides the facts about his life, many colourful stories of Dunstan survive, including one about his altercation with the devil. Dunstan was known to be an accomplished blacksmith, and one day, the devil approached him at his forge to tempt him. Dunstan grabbed the red hot iron tongs from the fire, and pinched the devil by the nose, making him howl. Various versions of this story exist in folklore right up to modern times, and you can see the episode depicted in a stained glass window in St. Patrick's Chapel. Now it's time to introduce my guest for today's episode, Prebendary David McGeoch, who is the vicar of Glastonbury. Welcome, David. Hello. Now when I mentioned I was going to do an episode on saints, you were quite interested to come on for a chat What is it
1: about them that you find interesting? Well, from all the saints that you've mentioned, Nick, I think it helps us to connect. So Joseph Arimathea, for example, it helps us to connect with Jesus, which links us obviously to the Bible Mm -hmm. uh, and to Easter Day and... Uh, so on and so forth. With St Patrick, then we have the link to Ireland. Mm -hmm. With St Dunstan, we have instant recognition with the Abbey itself, uh, and with the Abbey as the centre of why people come to Glastonbury. So there are all sorts of reasons why these saints excite me in different ways. For myself,
0: um, and you have to excuse the shameless self-promotion here, but uh, going back several years before I even worked at the Abbey, I wrote a whole chapter on the Glastonbury Saints in my book, uh, Celtic Saints of Western Britain, which I dug out in advance to remind myself of some of the stories. Um, I particularly liked learning about the ones that tie in other places in the surrounding landscape, so like Bridget at Beckery, Indract at Shapwick, and Beninus, who I believe was associated with Mia. Um, but his body was translated to Glastonbury, uh, to the site of what is now St. Benedict's Church, um, which up to the 17th century was called St. Beninus' Church. Um, do you have any
1: favourites? Well, my favourite locally has to be St. Benedict, really, yeah. because St. Benedict is all about the rule of life, mm-hmm. and from the rule of life is about hospitality. And from a Christian perspective, looking out, it's all about hospitality and welcoming people yeah. in. And the, de- and the Abbey was definitely, we know, was a absolutely. huge
0: place of hospitality for pilgrims in the Middle Ages right up to
1: today. Well, absolutely. St John's is, uh, since it's reordering has been seen as a hospital in the medieval times when pilgrims came to the abbey. And so they would come and get a meal, their clothes would be washed, they'd be able to rest overnight, and then they'd literally step over the road then for cleansing yes. from a spiritual perspective. Yes. So again, as you say, hospitality is mm-hmm. absolutely key. Yeah, And yeah. Um, probably the most
0: intrinsic to Glastonbury is Joseph of Arimathea, Um, Not only a major part in the legend of the founding of the Abbey, but directly linking to the time of Christ, which you've mentioned. Um, And his being here is seen as by no means impossible, as um, we know there was a trade between the southwest of England and the Middle East, um, which I think is where that saying Joseph was in the tin trade comes from. Um, Do you think he's the most important to the Glastonbury story?
1: Yes, I do. I mean, people come from all over the world to get something from Joseph Aramathy and, of course, the Holy Thorn, which we've Mm -hmm. not mentioned. And the Holy Mm -hmm. Thorn, as you said right at the beginning, is allegedly where he put his staff in and it became Mm -hmm. a thorn and so on. And the thorn only... Uh, flowers twice a year. Christmas, well, nothing exciting about that. Christmas, <laughs> as far as I know, is always on the 25th of December. But it also flowers at Easter, and Easter, mm-hmm. of course, is a movable feast, literally. Yeah. Uh, and and again, at St John's, when we reordered, we, we dedicated a chapel to St Joseph Arimathea, because so many people come into the church looking mm-hmm. for something of Joseph. Do you um, find that's a popular spot within the church, some a sort of focal... Point. Absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. and the oldest window that we have in the whole of Somerset is in St John's church a medieval window which is of the cruet oh, uh, yes. and the cross yes. uh, which is you know depicting Joseph Arimathea. yeah that was was that used
0: as one of the, um, the abbot's arms i think that's right yeah. yes it yeah, was yeah yeah, yeah yeah so i think yes yeah, it's very important and um, what message do you think we should take away from
1: his story that's a very good question, because I think it depends what pilgrims are looking for in terms of a message. Uh, but I think it gives a message of, of hope uh, in that the flower itself from the thorn, mm-hmm. the hope is that, of course, it will flower twice a year. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think also of miracle. You know, there is lots of myths about the miracles and healing Mm. of Glastonbury. And it is a miracle, quite frankly, that this amazing tree flowers twice and it's come from Mm -hmm. Joseph Ametheia. I think that's why people come to see the tree, actually. And the fact, as we often know lately, that that the trees scattered around become very, very important for people for all sorts of reasons. You know, people hand fast around a tree, they'll put ribbons on a tree that represents some prayers that they've left... So it is, it is about hope, love, and healing and miracle, I think, really. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah I think um, some of the listeners might not know we have several um, descendants of this holy thorn around. So there was one on the hill, um, which sadly got vandalised. Um, there's a couple in the Abbey, and then there's the one in St John's Churchyard, which is the
1: one where we send cuttings to the Queen at Christmas. Yes, yeah, so again, when you say it's important, um, mm-hmm. it's important to local community too, not just saying. those that come and visit. So, for those that don't know, we have this wonderful tradition that the Mayor of Glastonbury, and that tends to change every year, the eldest child of St John's Infant School and the mm-hmm. Vicar of the Day, we, we get all the community together so nick i think you've probably been as well Mm -hmm. uh people from the abbey from all over and we cut this thorn huge huge thing st john's sing a little song that they've written Mm -hmm. about the holy thorn and then yes it's ceremoniously sent to her majesty and she writes back Uh, In January, always saying thank you so much. But most importantly, and I said right at the beginning, it's about connectedness with saints. One of the great things from the Queen is that she let slip some years ago that the holy thorn always sits on her dining room table Hmm. on Christmas Day. So again, we have that connectedness with Her Majesty on Christmas Day. Going back
0: to the late inclusion of St Coffin, um, it's quite strange that this saint from Llan in Wales who has no churches dedicated to him in Somerset, would have this colourful episode here. And I think it might show uh, the influence that Glastonbury and its legends had by this time, um, the the late 16th century, for Welsh writers to want to be associated with it. Um, And as I mentioned, there were meant to be 300 plus saints relics here and some big names too, like Patrick and David, have other places in Ireland and Wales claiming to have their graves. Um, The Abbey had some power to be able to hold their own against these claims. Even Dunstan was disputed. He became Archbishop of Canterbury after being Abbot of Glastonbury so the two places had a fierce rivalry over who really owned the Saints bones. Um, in the cases of the more famous saints, you end up with multiple claims, like um, with Saint Anne, whose head, I think, is meant to be in about seven different places. Um, it's interesting, uh, this is something I've mentioned in a previous episode, that Glastonbury never claimed to have the body of Bridget, um, but said that all she left behind was some belongings. Um, is that something you've thought about before? Why Why we don't have her
1: here? It isn't, actually. No. Um, because, as you say, so many people have claims of so yeah. many different things. It's a bit like you go to a castle uh, and you're told that this is where so-and-so died because mm. there's blood on the floor. And you <laughs> go to another castle yeah. and you hear the yeah. same. So it hasn't yeah. really I mean, crossed they're, my they're, mind.
0: I know Ireland has some um, very strong um, connections with, you know, with bridges, so perhaps they just couldn't dispute that one. But, but mm. we, we did manage it with Patrick. <laughs> yeah. Um, There's quite a mixture here, we've got Celtic, Saxon and even Biblical saints. Um, A lot are non-canonical, which means they're they're not officially recognised by the Catholic Church, but had local importance nonetheless. Um, Of course, saints are more important within the Catholic faith. Um, How are they
1: viewed within the Church of England? I think that's quite a mixed question actually Mm -hmm. because I think it depends on what part of the Church of England you are associated with. Mm -hmm. So uh, here in Glastonbury the saints are very important and of course St John's had a huge Catholic connection. It was the Catholic Church for a long time of course uh, before the Reformation. And so we pray through the saints just as the Catholics pray through the saints here. Uh, at St. John's and St. Benedict's, whereas uh, some churches that are quite what we call low-church, evangelical churches, Mm -hmm. acknowledge the saints that they may or may not have existed but don't really say or do much with them. I would just say that, you know, as somebody who presides and celebrates at St Patrick's Chapel here in the Abbey and those of you who have not yet visited it, it's the most glorious small chapel with an unusually stone altar. I say that because there aren't many stone altars around now. I get this incredible sense that so many people before me, monks and abbots alike, have celebrated on that site and indeed mm. whether St Patrick or St Dunstan or any of our local saints pass through it doesn't really matter it's the sense that you get at the time and so mm. saints do have a significance both as a priest and for a Christian and also for those who are seeking. So we said earlier about Jesus for Amathea, uh, i think joseph amathea is extremely important for what we said but also st dunstan mm-hmm. you know st dunstan at baltonsborough which is the church that's dedicated around here to st dunstan and baltonsborough is a village about five miles from here if you talk to the people of the village st dunstan's really important yeah. to them they keep the day they keep all sorts of other things to do with st dunstan during the year i
0: guess because they're you know these are real people we know we know for a fact that Dunstan was a real person right, so yeah. it's that kind of connection these yeah. are yeah real real people um, yeah um what what influence do you think that the the saints and their stories can have today um do you think they're useful for children to learn
1: i do let's let's go back firstly to st benedict um we have a school named after yes. Saint benedict yep. Uh, and so consequently uh, the schools do a lot of work on what St Benedict is all about. We've already talked about mm-hmm. hospitality, we've talked about uh, the rules, we've talked a lot about prayer to children, and I think that's very important in this day and age. Children live with noise uh, nowadays, and actually Benedict's is anything but noise, so mm-hmm. we encourage children to sit back and to reflect and to be silent. So yes, I think it's very so important. So there's kind of fundamentals... Yes. Really yes, and then you've got stories and then you've got St John's um, School, of course. They associate with uh, Joseph Amathieu, as we already said, because mm-hmm. they come across. Then we've got St Dunstan's School. Yes. Um, so and they yeah, also... they're, they're kind of woven through yeah, local so life. I, th- okay. I think I think children really resonate with yeah. these saints, absolutely, uh, and I think probably more so now than they did, perhaps even fifty or sixty years ago. Okay, it's okay. interesting. So now before
0: we forget, the, the place of the saints in the Catholic Church is um, was as an intercessor, a sort of advocate that passes on your prayers to God in hopes that um, perhaps God will take more notice. Um, a practice which, um, as far as I know, is, is very much not present in the Anglican tradition. Mm. Um, at the, the peak of pilgrimage culture in the Middle Ages, the, the resting place of these these martyrs or their relics became this intense focus for pilgrims and it almost directed attention or diverted sorry attention away from the, the main altar and the direct worship of God. Um, today with a lot of these relics no longer surviving the pilgr- pilgrimages that um, take place here now seem to be more about being in the place, these special places that bring us closer. Um, do you think this physical dimension is important or helpful part of the spiritual journey being in or near these holy places
1: I think we come full circle in our conversation which is as we started about connectedness I think that's exactly what this is about is that when you stand in St. Patrick's Chapel, you have that connectedness with yeah. St. Patrick. When you stand in front of a holy thorn, you have that connectedness with Joseph Arimathea, and so the list goes on. So yes, mm-hmm. I, do, I do think these physical places are more important probably than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think people question so much whether the saint was actually there and, and whether the myth, legend, call it what you like, is true. Mm-hmm. It becomes less important to the place hmm I mean,
0: the, these, these places that we, we know where they were sort of packed with these relics and that people were, you know, visiting in high numbers and there was so much, like, devotion going on there throughout the centuries, mm-hmm. now these, these particular spaces, like the Lady Chapel and the crypt, mm-hmm. those are the places that people say they feel yeah. the most, yeah. even though there's n- there are, the things aren't there for them to see, yeah. the, the, the physical things. They just get the sense... Mm being in that space.
1: I'll give you a very practical example and I'm sorry to uh, say again about the reordering of St John's Church but it's very relevant to this that in what is now the Joseph Amathia Chapel we had a vault. The vault had come from outside probably around 300 years ago it was moved uh, inside the church uh, and it had JA engraved on it. And lots of people really believe that Joseph Amathea's relics were in that vault. And since we've moved the vault outside, the amount of people who have been horrified that we've moved relics or indeed have displaced them have been quite upset. I'm able to say that through an archaeologist that actually the vault had three different sides to it for a start off. That J.A. was engraved probably around 80 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, but therefore relics have become important to some if they think they're actually there in Mm -hmm. the first place. Um, And once you allegedly move them, then you create another difficulty of space. Mm. Um, I think they'll get over it in time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thank you,
0: David. Um, That's about all we've got time for today. And thank you all for listening. Thank you. This has been a Glastonbury Abbey podcast. Glastonbury Abbey is an independent charity. You can support us by visiting the Abbey, becoming a member or donating via our website, glastonburyabbey.com.